The following podcast contains spoilers and words like piss, shit, and fuck. We watch it. Everybody and welcome back to We Watch the Thing. It's Billy, and this week I'm joined by my wonderful wife Nooski. You might remember her from this time about a year ago when she hopped on the podcast to talk AI and holiday with me. How you doing, Noosk? Good, thank you. It's <laughs> good. What have you been up to? Uh, I'm in lockdown with you. Yeah, that's and our been, kids. It's been fun, hasn't it? Hasn't it been really fun? There's no escape. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great, isn't it? <laughs> We've been watching some stuff though, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And this week I made you watch one of my all time favourite movies, which shockingly you never saw. How did you never see Ferris Bueller's Day Off as a kid? You showed it to me when we were. I know, but like when you were a kid, like before we were together. Oh, right. I was like, um, that was a big part of our dating, was you showing me that film. I hadn't seen it since then and I didn't remember much of it at all. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't see a lot of things growing up, as you know. (laughs) Most of our relationship has been you showing me things. That's true. (laughs) I lived under a rock. (laughs) So, Ferris Bueller's Day Off is a 1986 American teen comedy film written, produced, and directed by John Hughes. It stars Matthew Broderick, Mia Sarah, and Alan Ruck, and... What is it about, Noosk? It's really Cameron's story, actually. You reckon? Yeah. You would call this Cameron's story? Yeah. It's called Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and it is his day off, but it's more Cameron's journey, I would say. Okay. So, what is it, what is it about? Give oh, it to me. Well, Ferris Bueller, who's honestly a bit of a dick, <laughs> just quietly, um, he takes the day off school, tricks his parents, chucks a sickie, etc. Um, hijinks ensue. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fair call. (laughs) So, let's get into it then. As I said, this is one of my all-time favourite films. I grew up on this film. About a month ago now, I was on Movie Reviews in 20 Qs talking about Clueless, and I mentioned that I think I'd seen that film probably over a hundred times in my life. A hundred? I reckon. I reckon easily. You didn't live with me in the 90s, man. (laughs) That's that is true. You know, like when I find a song I like, how many oh, times do I listen to it on repeat? Too many. Yeah, movies <laughs> are the same. And yes, I reckon, but to say you've seen it a hundred times yeah. when you add up the uh, hours. Whatever. <laughs> oh my god. And I reckon it's just that- another. Billy Dunham big call, and I hate it when you do that. <laughs> you reckon it's a BDBC? <laughs> yeah. B-Dizzle's big call? And now Topher's not around to stop you from adding <laughs> stupid sound effects. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know what? Here we go, listeners. No. B-Dizzle's big call. <laughs> I reckon that this film is up there for me for my most viewed film of all time. This has to be up there with More Clueless. More than Clueless. It's got to be up there for me. I watched this film and more than Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> don't don't piece make fun of shit of me you for made me watch. It's a classic. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, but this film was one of the. F- I've spoken before about movies that kind of led me to where I am today. Obviously, Jurassic Park is a big one. Chasing Amy, which I'm going to talk about next week, was one of the first movies I saw that made me really want to write things. Mm-hmm. But this is another one. Like John Hughes was such a big part of me growing up and realizing that this could be a future for me was, you know, being in the film industry. Mm. And this film is such a huge part of that. I love this film. It's did, a good film. Did you know that John Hughes was only 36 when he made this film? I did not know that. And but, oh, hang on. No, no, what? That he wrote it in six 
days, six hours. There was something about a six. <laughs> Crap. And this was this was only the tenth film he wrote and the fourth film he directed. He'd only been active for about four years at this point, really, in film. This was only about three or four years after National Lampoon's Vacation, which is another classic. I feel like this is a bit of a turning point for him, mm. though, because this blends what he did do, which is the kind of more adult teen film with a lot of slapstick, which is where he went after this. When you look at this was only four years before Home Alone. Mm. And after Home Alone, he turns to Beethoven. Oh. <laughs> and Beethoven second. And all the Beethoven. <laughs> and Richie Rich. Oh, I haven't seen Richie Rich. And this to me is the turning point where you can see some of those National Lampoons is sensibilities very, coming through. National Lampoons is very slapstick. Well, I think that this has a pretty perfect blend as well, where there are some so some silly, cheesy slapstick moments, particularly with Rooney. Yes. But there's a lot of more poignant um, te- classic teen movie moments as well, I think. Yeah. I could very much see how it influenced a lot of other things. Don't you reckon that this is a film for anybody? Like you said while we were watching it, Wow, like, our daughter would love this. Our daughter mm. is seven. I was thinking I was probably around seven when I watched it. I have vivid memories watching this with my entire family, including my elderly grandfather, who you you remember, who was uh, an interesting oh. fellow. This was- <laughs> This might is have a been, slow movie. Yeah, when it's we paused, were, granddad. Yeah. I remember watching this with him, and when, uh, when they dropped the car off at the valet, and the guy's like, I'm a professional, trust me. The guy's like, a professional thief. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, granddad. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, tell me, though, did you enjoy our viewing the other night? You said you didn't remember it. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed it. I, I don't know, I remembered next to nothing about it. It was our very early days of dating, so this is like 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I do think it's a film that crosses uh, generations and um, and it still holds up today, um, even though many teenagers today wouldn't necessarily – well, they certainly don't exist in the same world at all. Mm. Like I was telling you the other day, all my students – Snapchat each other. They don't text. They don't Facebook Messenger. They don't WhatsApp. Everyone Snapchats each other. And so you're required to take a photo of just the corner of your room or the carpet or something in order so to send weird a message. When you showed me one of the messages from your students that was just like the corner of a yeah, room. Yeah, that's with what they a do these days. Room. That's, that's so the bizarre. world they exist in. Everything's instant. Yeah. And everything is um, visual. Everything. But it is funny how much this, when you think about it, that this film is now 35 years old mm. this year. And so I would have first seen it probably 10 years after it came out, before I was a teenager. And then we were teenagers in the 2000s, and I feel like it was still relevant at that point. I think it's just relevant to high school. Yeah. Like his line, I wrote it down because I was like, yes, that line just got me because I was like, I I so relate to that. When he says, it's a little childish and stupid, but so is high school. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, I hated high school so much. One of my favourite things about this movie for me is that yeah, you kind of mentioned that you think of it as Cameron's movie. Mm. What I love about it is that I find all three of the lead characters in this film so relatable. You know, at different stages of my life, or even honestly, even at different stages of the day, 
I could easily be either Ferris or Cameron. You know, like <laughs> you know me very well. I could you like I yes. could easily be the guy who jumps on a parade float and sings a big number and doesn't even give it a second thought. And then I mean mostly no, later, but yeah, when it when it takes you, when the confidence takes yeah, you. Yeah, and then or five the or the later, number of IPAs you have. <laughs> You are wearing a flat cap. Sorry, I just had to. <laughs> Five minutes later, I could be completely comatose over the smallest thing. Mm. I I do wish, though, that Sloane had more of a, a driving force to the story. Like, she is picked up and that's all part of the hijinks that start with, you know, getting her out of school and stuff. And But apart from needing to get her out of school... I don't know what else what what other purpose Sloane serves to the story except to have a female character in there. I I disagree and maybe it's different because I'm not a female so I'm looking at it Probs. from a different perspective. But I kind of think that the relationship is very um I guess as we said very high school. I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know like hmm. think about relationships you had in high school. They're so surface level, you know, like a lot of the times you might barely even know the other person, but it's like, oh, you know, she's my girlfriend. I love mm. her. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to marry her. You know, like <laughs> he literally proposes to her and is dead serious about it. Like Ferris mm. is a kid who has so much confidence, not only in himself, but in the decisions that he makes. Like he truly believes that he is always doing the coolest and the best and the right thing. And he truly believes when he proposes to her that he means it. <laughs> like, hmm. And I think that's so high school. And I actually think that she's written in quite an interesting way. Yes, she's underdeveloped. and hmm. Very underdeveloped. I liked her and the, the small parts she was given I really liked. Yeah. Um, and I and I was pleased to see that in the pool scene, you know, she was just wearing like a camisole and underwear. There was no yeah, she's not there, was, there to just be eye candy. Yeah, there was. I mean, she's beautiful, but like there was no um. Oh, good, a pool scene. Let's chuck her in her lingerie. And, yeah. But then, of course, you know, there's the scene where Ka she's like, "Did you watch me change?" And Cameron's like, Meh. and I'm like, "Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know if that holds up today." <laughs> Just not, no. <laughs> but I, th I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said, you know, the, the little bits she has. She's not really, like, she doesn't do a lot, but I think it's clear that she is her own person with her own thoughts. And I think in a lot of kind of teen films like this, it's very easy for that girlfriend character to not even be that, to literally just be an extension of the main guy and literally just well, be there to be a girlfriend. But isn't she though? Because she exists to give Cameron sympathy. You think that's all she's there for? I think so. I was trying to sort of put her in a place and apart from just being one of the gang and needing a female member, I, I think that she exists there to evoke really? the feminine qualities that Ferris isn't isn't providing because he's, let's face it, kind of an asshole to Cameron. Like, he's prepared to fall on his sword at the end, but only once things have gone completely and utterly wrong. And he thinks his best friend is, like, suicidal at this point. Yeah. Like, he's so awful to Cam. And it, it is funny, too, that at the end of the film, even though Ferris is, like, the protagonist, Cameron is the one who learns something and yeah, grows. Yeah, that's, like, that's what I mean. That's Cameron's and story. Ferris, 
Ferris gets off. He go, he goes home. He doesn't have to deal with any consequences of anything. It is an that interesting scene turn, where really. he chucks the. I think he's like he goes back to lying in bed, and it's you know that race against Genie, yeah. which I'll get to that in a second. Um, he lies down and there's a baseball, and so he chucks the baseball out of the bed and it just rolls into the mitt. And I was like, yeah, because everything fucking works for you, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> and the bit about Genie, um, I really love Genie. At first I was like, oh, it's the chick from Dirty Dancing. I didn't like at the end when all of a sudden she just decides to cover for Ferris. You know, Rooney's got him. She just waltzes out there and she, you know, politely blackmails Rooney. I I understand Charlie Sheen at the police station. Oh, my God, Charlie Sheen at the police station was meant to be her turning point there where he's like, just who cares, whatever. But then when she stops the car and she nearly hits Ferris, the whole race home is because she's trying to expose him. Yeah. So, what changed between them nearly killing neighbours and themselves to get home and opening the door? I just wish we had seen a little more development there. I know entirely what you're saying. I think that part of it comes down to two things. I think part of it is Rooney. She sees Rooney threatening Ferris. She doesn't like Rooney already. She Nobody knows that he broke Rooney. into the house. No st- he's got that. Like Rooney. He's got that awful little pedo moustache, <laughs> and he just looks like a creep. <laughs> and I think you know, like you've you've got siblings. You know what it's like. Even if you don't like them, you still don't like to see somebody else threatening them. And I think no. also when she looks out the window at that moment, and she sees Ferris's face. No. Okay. Look, I completely agree with you. It's the age-old rule. Nobody's allowed to pick on my siblings but me. Yeah. It just felt once again like a bit of a female prop character. That was all. But I do love Jeannie and I love how enraged she is at all times. Yeah. That everyone's like, oh, do you want to save Ferris or, you know, pass my thoughts on to Ferris. The whole save Ferris (laughs) thing leads to some great moments. And throughout this film, you would think that at some point that would wear thin where you'd be like, yeah, okay, I get the joke. But it never gets old. It's funny. Every time. I mean, it's not not able to be explained (laughs) at any point. (laughs) When you see save Ferris written on, like, the sign outside Wrigley Field. Field. (laughs) And, like, it just never gets old. And the headline in the paper. I mean, again, (laughs) like, it wouldn't even – the news wouldn't reach that. And, you know, the cops are all rooting for him and stuff. (laughs) Like, I mean, this is the world we live in. But, yeah, I just – I feel for Jeannie. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, that relates back to sibling rivalry as well where – you just – there are some things your sibling can get away with, many things, that you cannot. Yeah. And it's BS. <laughs> yeah. And I do think it's interesting. You know, you said that you think Ferris is kind of a dick. I think mm-hmm. that's actually a pretty brave move of the film, that you can look at the protagonist and go, oh, yeah, that that guy is a dick at times. You know, mm-hmm. like it would be very easy to make Jeannie the villain. But at the end of the day, they're both just teenage kids and they both do things that are pretty shitty at points. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Charlie Sheen, (laughs) did he not know they were filming? Because he just looks like a crackhead. (laughs) (laughs) And this was before he was all crackheady. Well, apparently he stayed up 
for 48 hours to play Doing the role. Crack. <laughs> Doing just crack. Doing like getting in, getting in character. It just turns like, out it's a real cop shop and Charlie yeah, Sheen just happens to be there. He just turns to Hughes. He's like, listen, man, like before we film this scene, I'm just going to need a bump or two because I have to get in character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's hard to stay, say whether he stayed awake for 48 hours as, you know, method acting or if that was just his lifestyle. <laughs> I think you mean meth acting. <laughs> oh, uh, get it. <laughs> One of the notes I made was, wow, um, actual teens in the film. But I think that's just all the extras when there's yeah, that the teacher droning scene. on yeah. and, you know, Bueller, Bueller and, and all that stuff. Um, there's a lot of shots of teenagers and I was just like, wow, like I feel like I could be looking at my students in poor 80s hair and makeup. Yeah. But as it turns out, um, okay, Sloane is 18. Yeah. But then she, of course, you know, females are always younger. She plays opposite Ma- Matthew Broderick, who's 24. 24. Yep. And Alan Ruck, who's 29. Yeah, but man, <laughs> Alan so Ruck has baby face, right? Yeah, yes, actually. I, yeah, like, I do feel he, like he's, he doesn't. He do, it's not like Dawson's Creek. Oh, no, God, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, great scene, that Bueller, Bueller. Yeah, and it's yeah. one of those iconic things that stand yeah. out. But you know what I noticed this time watching? Have you ever like been in a room or you know been at work with that many people whose surname starts with a because <laughs> he goes through like oh. 10 a names before he yeah, gets to Bueller right. just to stretch the scene out yes. and then we go directly from Bueller to Fry there's no kids with C D <laughs> or E in their surname. I didn't notice that actually <laughs> it's like I mean it's a fantastic scene but it's so clear on a rewatch that wow they're really trying to st- to make the point of the boredom mm. here by stretching this out with A names. <laughs> And so many kids not responding, just not listening. I was like, I relate. I'll tell you what shocked me on this rewatch. Like I said, I've seen this movie so many times, but I was really, really struck by just how young Matthew Broderick looked in this film. Like I I almost- 24, yeah. Like it's funny, you know, even though this would easily be his performance I've seen the most, I'm also- a huge fan of Election. That's another movie yeah. that I adore. I <laughs> made you watch that as well. Yes, that's a good film. And fun. it's funny. To, that's how I picture him now is, you know, much older. It was really, like, shocking to me to see him this young. I found it shocking how um, attracted I was to him at several points. He has excellent hair. Yeah. And, you know, that stupid bravado confidence. I mean, it does get you far. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway. Even, yeah. even at one with, point, even I wrote down Ferris, what a babe, which I don't think I can say anymore because I'm 32. <laughs> even even with the vest and the jacket, you you were still Ferris. Oh, the jacket. I love how instantly you looked up if you could get that jacket. Oh, I'm getting that jacket. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. More money spent on. <laughs> we're sitting in a room right now surrounded by movie and TV show paraphernalia. Yeah. Do you need more? Well, yeah, because the jacket won't hang on the wall, babe. That's I'm wearing that. I'm <laughs> wearing that me. thing every day. <laughs> I'm just going to steal it. It'll be mine. <laughs> it will go very well with my flat cap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of flat caps. <laughs> yes, Cam wears a flat cap when they're driving in the car. Mm. And you took that to be incredibly validating. I did, because I've been wearing one all day. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I had made fun of you for it. And then- you know, sometimes the universe just sends you weird signs and coincidences and then we watch this and you're like, see, Cameron is wearing flat cap. <laughs> He's also wearing a hockey jersey. Yeah. And he- a flat cap. 
I know, I know, it's something you would wear. That doesn't mean it goes well together. No, but you know what is even weirder than that? Is that when he takes his hockey jersey off, he's wearing both a belt and suspenders. Yes, I did notice that. The <laughs> 80s have a lot to answer for. They really, wise. and you know what? I used to rock suspenders all the time. Like as a I little remember. kid, I thought they were cool. But then even like in high school, I thought it was rad to wear like suspenders around my waist. You had phantom <laughs> suspenders? I had like three different suspenders. Oh, <laughs> do you remember them. when you used to wear the green silk Japanese pyjamas yeah. <laughs> Guys, I was not cool. <laughs> no, not at all. And yet you were a bit of a ferris. People just loved you. Yeah. When I started dating you, I got messages from people at your high school. Oh, you're dating Billy Dunham. Rock on. Cool, yeah, you're the best. Oh, you know, have fun with that. He's so great. And I was like, what the F is going on? Who are these people? Basically a save Ferris situation, but a, in a much happier way. Yeah, but see, that's what I mean about how relatable the characters are. Like, t- I think that a lot of people would see me as the Ferris when realistically, you, you and I Cameron. both know I'm much more the Cameron. Yes, you are. Absolutely. Well, these days with kids, you're the Rooney. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're a cranky old bastard. (laughs) Now, back to the voiceover. When he turns and talks to the camera, it's very natural and not at all strange. Yeah, I know, right? And that's a technique that is used so rarely in film. Yeah. You You and I were talking about that recently because you used that technique for one of the things you wrote for uni and- I was like, oh, I really like that. And you weren't sure if it could work in a screenplay setting because you wrote it as a play. And I was like, yeah, it totally works. Well, here's an example. It does. Yeah. Right, it, you're wrong. It's funny. Like, you know, it's a technique that's used a little more often in TV, I think, but it does tend to be mainly reserved for, st- you know, to me, you think of that and it's like Shakespeare soliloquies, you know, where they're kind of addressed to the audience and the other Ugh. characters don't necessarily hear it. But it does work very, very well here. Yeah. And the other thing I love about it- You feel I like you're part of the it, hijinks with him. Yeah. The other thing I love about it is the consistency of it. It plays through the whole film, which I've seen films recently that- you know, we'll do that at one point and it's like, well, no, that and doesn't, then forget that doesn't land for me. Or even, you know, the use of a voiceover and it just – it doesn't work if it's not consistent. Yes. And then they only bring it right back at the end for the lesson of the episode scrub style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it works so well in this film and so many of them are just one – you know, like I love when he's just playing the clarinet, never had one lesson. <laughs> Well, there is something he says, not good. When does he say, oh, nothing good, at the camera. That's the Jim Halpert OG face right there. (laughs) I think that's where John Krasinski got his inspiration for what's known as the Jim face, if you're an office fan. The way he turns to the camera, (laughs) like, it's just really amusing. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, quite surreal moments like that. Like, when he first calls up Cameron to tell him to come pick him up, and after they get off the phone, Cameron lays there and says, I'm dying. And <laughs> the phone rings again. <laughs> You're not dying. You just have nothing better to do. <laughs> oh, man. I relate to Cameron so much. I agree. I, I love Cameron. And that entire sequence, you know, when, when he's in the car and he's talking to himself, he's yeah. going to keep calling He's going to keep calling and calling. <laughs> We've all been there. And then, <laughs> he, you know, he just loses it in the car, starts screaming and bashing the, the horn, gets out. And then you see him in the back of the shot walking yep. back walking back. the car, yep. very angry at himself. <gasps> it's so relatable. That was me every day of working in the public service. <laughs> now, so- so you said that you think this is Cameron's film. Mm. What do you make of the fan theory? And you may not have even heard about this. There is a fan theory that Ferris does not exist. 
Wow. And he is like a figment of Cameron's imagination and who Cameron wishes he could be. And that just Ferris is not a real person and it's all through Cameron's perspective. What do you make I mean, of that then? But then how do they get flown out of school? And- no, I mean, I'm, you know, look at Fight Club. Like, things don't have to make sense. I haven't seen Fight Club. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that, could, that could be a throwback episode. Um, no, I don't subscribe to that fan theory, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I feel like I know people like Ferris. And I, I get where those people are coming from, that he's a figment of – Cameron's imagination, but then, like, why have Genie in the film and things like that? Yeah. Like, it's all, you know, I, I think it's very clear that he is a, a real person. Yeah. You know who he reminded me of? Complete disregard for the rules. Just doesn't care when you're like, this is not how it works and, you know, you're stressing me out. Our youngest daughter. <laughs> She's a turd. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll say something to her and you'll heavily explain why that, you know, this can't be the way or, you know, mummy's very angry right now and she'll just be like, are you happy? And I'm like, no, I'm not happy. And she's like, oh, well, fuck you. <laughs> you know who we haven't really spoken about yet is Rooney. Mm. Um. I mean, what do you make of uh, there's a there's a current kind of thing that Rooney is the true hero of the film and that, you know, <laughs> Ferris is this shit faced little kid and Rooney's just trying to do his job. I mean, I think Rooney's a bit of a dick. Like, oh, he, he takes cer- it he too far. Goes too far. He takes it too far. And I and I I get it, you know, he's he's probably been a principal for too long. He's um He's not enjoying being an educator of the people anymore, <laughs> of the youths. He does take it too far, though. Is he potentially trying to kill Ferris's dog at one point with those flowers? <laughs> I wrote I kill I dog, know. three question marks yeah. underlined. <laughs> it, it wouldn't surprise me if he tried to kill the dog. Yeah, he just takes it a step too far. <laughs> yeah. You know who the MVP of the film is for me, though, is is his secretary. Se- secretary. <laughs> Did you what know? What a little asshole. <laughs> Say that all the time. <laughs> you do say that all the time. There were so many things I was like, oh, that's why Billy says that. Yeah. It it really um it took me right back to I shouldn't say took me right back, but I saw how it influenced many films, including Mean Girls, when she's talking about the the dweebs and the mm. you know the dickheads. And I, the- that surprised me because I think of dickhead as a very Australian term. Like I I've never. Oh, but it she's, well she American. means it. But in, she says it in a. She, but it's it a bit like authentic. the C bomb. We all use it like a "How you going, you dickhead?" Like it's. Yeah. She doesn't mean it like that. Yeah. Um. Apparently, that line, um, was improvised. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. How crazy is that? that well, I mean, it doesn't is- surprise. John Hughes was a champion of improvisation. Like the Breakfast Club, from my understanding, is. There's large chunks of that. Well, no that wonder he writes improvised. a film in six days then. Well, yeah. Like, he's barely writing anything. Yeah. He's making the actors do all the work. Yeah, but, you know, he's like, he- I think he's a very sharp writer, and I think it takes a lot of skill as a writer to be open to improvisation, mm. you know? And I think you see that in Maybe shows- Maybe that's more as a trust as a director, though. Yeah, I think so. I'd like to know why Ferris's dad, upon hearing his son, is feeling very lightheaded 
and Dizzy tells him to have a hot bath and wrap his head in a hot towel. Because <laughs> men are dumb as shit. <laughs> honestly, I was like, oh, no, 80s dad. Although, honestly, to be honest, I have many friends whose current husbands and fathers would still be that useless today. But even I think of myself, and you can vouch for me here, I don't think vouch, I'm a useless dad. Like, I'm a, No, I'm you're a, an excellent dad. Yeah. But, Very involved. But even I could very easily say something dumb as fuck like that. You know, <laughs> well, like this concerns me remember, because I leave you alone with the children. You have to remember I grew up if I was sick from school, like if I was really sick, as a treat I would get McDonald's. Yeah. Like so that's what so you when still I still want when McDonald's I, and KFC exactly, when you're sick. I don't get when it. When I'm sick now, I want grease and fat and no. salt. And I know that it's bad for me, but that's what I want when I'm sick. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. So I, I can definitely, uh, you know, I'm here for Ferris's dad. Um, let's talk about the music in the film oh. for a bit because it's a great soundtrack and it's so bizarre to me that as 80s as it is, it at no stage dates the film, I don't think. I don't no. think there's a moment where you're like, oh, wow, this is a really 80s, like, sick I think track. because there's a lot of different genres of music there. Yeah. What will always stick out to me is the beautiful instrumental rendition of, of the please, Smiths. Please, 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 let please. me get what I want. Yeah. I wrote that down here. Which that, is one of my all-time favourite songs. That scene in the art gallery songs. is so beautiful. So beautiful. And just, yeah, this is where I think that And John I remember Hughes, seeing that painting with you, which had yeah. been moved to Philly by the time we saw it. And it's cr- that painting is absurdly beautiful. Although apparently that was meant to be a Cure song. Oh, oh you it mean- was meant to be a oh, Cure right. song. Which Cure song? Well, they had the Cure write something, and then it didn't pan out well with test audiences, right. so they ditched it and changed to the instrumental. I mean, because you you know that I'm a giant Cure fan. Well, I'd that's why I'm bringing it up, babe. <laughs> <laughs> but oh man, please, please, please let me get what I want. Is one of my all time favorite songs. It's just. Morrissey is just so tortured and sad and he just writes such a great song. And even without the lyrics, I think just the musicality of that is perfect in that moment. And when Cameron is just staring at that painting, it's just a really touching moment for me. Yeah, it is beautiful, that scene. This film for me was still once again house porn. Ferris Bueller's house is so beautiful, and so is Cameron's house. You don't see too much of it, but yeah. that you know that I mean, it was very oh, modern. Even for- just it's very modern, isn't it? It's, it's still very just modern like now. The glass garage on the cliff, going down into that valley full of trees, like it's just gorgeous. Yeah, it's very beautiful, and I like how it's a very stark contrast, though, to Ferris's house, which is very yeah. warm and a bit more traditional family home, rich family home, but yeah. Um, which is then gives way to the line about Cameron's house is beautiful, it's but like you can't, a museum, like a museum, you can't touch yeah. anything. And it is great set design, though. Both of those houses are very well dressed. You know, mm. yeah. yeah. I, I wrote down was John Hughes the OG Nancy Myers, <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny, even like the personality in the rooms. You know, like you see Ferris's room, and it is chock full of posters for bands mm. and films, and and Cameron's room, even though. Cameron is clearly a pop culture head. He's always doing silly voices. He's wearing the, you know, the mm. hockey jersey. He's clearly in the sport. There is nothing on his walls yeah. at all. And yep. it's just like, well, yeah, his parents wouldn't let him do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very smart design. Yes, yeah. I love how much of like a love letter to Chicago this film is. Yeah. You know, like this film really has very little plot. Like 
really, he skips school, and th- from then on, the plot is him gallivanting around the city of Chicago. You know, yeah. they oh, go it's out very, to a fancy it's lunch. Very much they go to the Sears here. Tower. High drinks here. Drinks here. Yeah. Drinks here. Yeah. Um, and I love what a love letter to Chicago it is. You know, like how many of the sites they manage to pack in mm. is really wonderful. And I love the scene at the Sears Tower. <laughs> Son of a bitch is down there somewhere. <laughs> Just a great moment. Yeah, that scene where they're peering down in the glass. I wonder. Is that what prompted them to build the glass floors? Because, you know, you and I stood on those glass yeah. floors where you can actually yeah. just have nothing beneath you at all. And that's quite freaky. Um, I-, I wondered if they had lots of people going up there and pressing their heads on the glass. Just oh, like, no doubt. Absolutely just like in the would. film. Yeah. yeah. And so they were like, you know what? We'll add an extra I layer mean, here. Even with the <laughs> glass danger. floors, I leaned my head against the glass because you have to. Yeah. <laughs> like- but first, I do remember this. You checked the weight limit. <laughs> <laughs> I was heavy at You then. were a lot heavier back then. <laughs> oh. You didn't need to say a lot. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no, I didn't, I didn't read it like that. <laughs> yes, for furthering my point of why Ferris is such a dick, when Cameron is comatose, when the odometer has been severely increased on the car because professional criminal had taken it out, Ferris is just having a nice time in the spa. With Sloane. Yeah. I'm and like, I, I love I'm the like, way that- mate, you're, he's, he's in a crisis here. You need to help your friend. I love the way that he like poses as if that was for Cameron when he's like, you know, well, you know, we'll, we'll try something different. <laughs> like, as yeah. if, like going <laughs> yeah. to the spa and just having a dip with his girlfriend will help Cameron out. Yeah. Ferris lives Ferris's life as Ferris wants. <laughs> yeah. It's great. <laughs> I, I'm very happy for Cameron that in the end- you know, he's he's grown and he's developed more confidence or perhaps just a lack of caring and calamity in his life. But yeah. but I don't think Ferris is a wise friend for him to hang out with. And if they do go to different colleges, as Ferris talks about, perhaps he will make some um, friends that actually appreciate him for who he is. Well, it's funny. What I will say is I adore this film and I've always adored this film. But watching it last night... I couldn't help but have some different thoughts about the themes and the messages in the film. You know, it's like when you watch Grease and ultimately the message is, okay, so you just need to change everything about who you are and you'll get a guy. You just need to dress in leather and act like a and you could John Travolta like, so that was one of the few films my parents did actually let me watch when I was young. Even I, at 10 years old, was like, well, this is terrible yeah, messaging. Yeah. And watching it last night, as an introvert myself, as a heavily introverted person who, as I said, realistically leans much more towards Cameron than Ferris, mm. I was not offended, but I couldn't help but take note that as I said, at the end, Ferris learns nothing and and, mm. and it's kind of like it just kind of sets the expectation that being quiet and being introverted like Cameron is wrong. Mm. And those people need to grow and learn things. They need to learn to stand up for themselves and they need to learn to do yeah. this and do that. Whereas extroverted people like Ferris don't need to learn those lessons because, hey, they've got confidence they already. They exist They're in the great. world that's built for and, extroverts. You know, yeah. I, I kind of get it. Like- Generally, coming-of-age film is about learning confidence. You know, you think about most of them, it's about young teenage kids learning to accept who they are or something. And but Ferris it, already has being done Being a teenager that, so is also it. learning humility. Yeah. And yes, Ferris doesn't learn that. Yeah. Ferris continues to exist in Ferris's world as 
so many young white males do. Um, but I, I, I do find that that's kind of heartwarming that you, as an adult, looked back and, and mm. found a different sort of way of looking at it. Um, because what really pissed me off was that Ferris is ultimately rewarded for mm. his terrible um, behaviour towards Cameron because Cameron is the one who's sort of taken the lesson from it. He's grown and he's developed some confidence to perhaps stand up to what sounds like an abusive father. Yep. And Ferris is like, yep, cool, my job here is done. See, I was right all along. And that was, yeah, that was kind of disappointing in the film. That and Jeannie just coming way too quickly to her conclusion that she was actually going to help him. Yeah. Uh, but apart from that, I really enjoyed this film. All right. Well, let's get down to it then. So, you'd seen it only once before, like 15 years ago and didn't remember it. How are you scoring this film? I think I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Okay. I really enjoyed score. it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, there was, yeah. I, if it was remade today, I, I'd love to see them do some- um, different things with it. I just, I, this is, I've said this so many times lately, you know, like we did Jurassic Park coming up. I don't want to spoil anything, but I've, I've just recorded an episode with Julio from the Contrarians talking about Cliffhanger, which is another childhood favorite. Oh, how good is Cliffhanger? Oh, fucking slaps. <laughs> don't. <laughs> but this, say that. <laughs> this is an episode, this, this is a film for me that I just cannot separate my feelings from for how much. I adore it. So, even though I saw, you know, more flaws with it this time, I cannot help but give it a nine because I just love this movie so much and it means so much to me. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a film that's meant to be entertaining. It is entertaining. I I laughed out loud several times. Oh, this is a funny film. And I will say- When he this- slaps the phone out of yeah. Cameron's hand, like, here I am talking yeah. about what an awful friend he is, but that really made me laugh. We've all been there. Yeah. Where you're trusting someone to handle um, a lie yeah. well, and they're not doing it correctly, and so you need to take over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think that this is John Hughes's best film, but- I definitely think this is his funniest film. This is, for me, his most joke, 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 laugh out loud film, yeah. for and sure. Yeah, and so many quotable lines. Definitely. And, I mean, what else do you watch movies for except for entertainment? So Yeah. All right, well, next week, uh, fingers crossed, hopefully, you know, maybe some- we are recording this in advance, a little peek behind the curtains. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hopefully, lockdown will kind of ease and I'll be able to get on mic with our good friend Hendo from the Movie Journey podcast to talk about another film I love and adore, Chasing Amy. So, fingers yeah. crossed for that. <laughs> Sorry. Fuck you. <laughs> okay, it's all right. I've only seen it once and I just I don't remember enjoying it. <laughs> Uh, much like Ferris Bueller and you ended I up- I did enjoying- enjoy Ferris Bueller back in the day. I, look, honestly, I think you and I were making out or something. I wasn't really paying attention. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. <laughs> Those were the days, hey? <laughs> <laughs> All right. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with me, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and I'll catch you next week. Go watch a movie. I'm stealing that. That's mine. Should I do that again without swearing? No, it's no, fine. Okay. Okay. No, it's an explicit show. <laughs> you can say <laughs> if you want. <laughs> no. I'll probably beep it because I think beeps are funny, especially when you say something like <laughs> Okay, no, just, just leave fucking. <laughs>
Because I actually take notes, Billy. I care about podcasting. Mate, I take notes. I've been podcasting for four years, mate. You think I don't have notes? If Topher was here right now, he Topher would be- dead to me. <laughs> he left the show. That's on him. He's dead. Don't you bring up his name. Aren't you doing an episode with him soon? Yeah, mate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, Toph. Trying to represent here with some notes. Oh, he's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> you think he's listening to this show? <laughs> he would listen to my episode. Maybe. <laughs>